0: Screen Time with John Farty. This is News Talk.
1: Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Farty, and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, the great new Irish movie Redemption of a Rogue. I speak with its writer and director and also lead actor. Mark Ryle looks at the new Candyman movie as well as coming-of-age drama, Our Ladies. Plus, film director Patty Slattery talks to me about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app, powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and that you're enjoying this wonderful weather I guess they call it an Indian summer but anyway you don't really care about that you care about TV and movies and talking of TV this week I was watching this
2: it's about a woman who keeps playing perfect housewife hey where's our breakfast you're not supposed to have favorites Kevin's my husband yeah babe can you go see if my package is here yet can you do it I'm in the middle of something then one day she realises what she wants. Whoa, Miss Hercules over here. <laughs> Is that blood? It doesn't mean you get to be moody. You already used that excuse once this month.
1: Now that's a clip from Kevin Can F himself. And you know what the F stands for there. It's on Amazon Prime from this Friday, the 27th of August. And it stars Alison McRoberts. No, it stars Annie Murphy. She plays Alison McRoberts in this. Annie Murphy is, a.k.a. Alexis Rose, the daughter in the wonderful Shits Creek. And it's good to see her back on a mainstream TV show because I do think she's a wonderful comedic actress. And this is intriguing. I'm not sure if it's amazing, but it's intriguing because what it is, it's a sitcom with two very distinct styles. In one of them, she plays a kind of housewife to a very moronic husband, Kevin, played by Eric Peterson. And it's a stereotypical sitcom. It's He's basically an outsized toddler in this. And in one of the sitcoms, it's kind of parodying a traditional sitcom where this husband who just wants to drink all day and, you know, fight people and he works for a cable company and she's this long-suffering wife who just appears to make him snacks. And they're clearly sending up those kind of sitcoms, you know, the ones like, I guess, Everyone Loves Raymond, or not that there's anything wrong with those, but it's it's a pee-take almost of a stereotypical sitcom. But then, every time she leaves Kevin, it turns into this really dark drama where she's trying to escape her suburban life. And it takes a really dark turn and she's coming up with a dark plan. I won't say any more. And there's some very good plotting in it so far. I'm only two and a half episodes in, but it's an interesting piece of TV so far. The way they're splitting between two types of show might actually work for you. It's worked for me so far. It's Kevin can F himself. It's on Amazon Prime from this Friday. Uh, let me know if you might be getting into it. John underscore Friday is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screen time at talk.com. Now, I also quickly want to mention McCartney 321, which is a six-part documentary on Disney from Wednesday. And it's Paul McCartney basically sitting down with the legendary producer, Rick Rubin, and they're just talking about Beatles songs and also one or two Paul McCartney solo songs from Wings and stuff like that. Now, if you're a Beatles fan slash nerd like me, you, you may have heard some of the stories before. But to see Paul McCartney deconstruct the Beatles songs and talk about John Lennon in the presence of Rick Rubin on this very minimal set near a piano, near a mixing desk is absolutely manna from heaven for me. I've only watched two and a half episodes again because I'm saving them. That's how good this is. To hear Paul McCartney in a kind of half-empty room listening to Eleanor Rigby and hearing isolated vocals and him commenting on how they came up with bass lines. Oh, I'm in heaven. I really am. So, you know what? I'm too close to this to tell you if you'd like this or not. I've lost my powers of criticism or whatever they are what little powers i have have gone because i'm just in heaven watching this i really am so if you're a beatles fan or a paul mccartney fan three mccartney 321 it's a strange name mccartney 321 now on disney plus is absolutely wonderful i'll move on And now we turn to the week's new releases, which this week include Candyman. Yes, the horror movie from the 1990s has a kind of reimagining or a sequel of sorts, more of that anon, and also a coming-of-age drama set in Scotland. I'm joined now by our own Candyman, Mark Ryle. How are you, sir? Hey, you. So listen, Candyman, 1992, I, I remember, and now it's a long time, but I remember enjoying that a lot, being mm. scared by it, particularly the Tony Todd voice. Are you scared by the new one for the right reasons?
3: I will get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. This you're, one... you're,
1: getting, you're turning into a politician. That's a very good question, <laughs> but let me say this first. Go, go I'm ahead. Gonna
3: start, I'm going to start every sentence with so. Um <laughs> This one is, it's doing the same thing that, uh, David Gordon Green did with the, the 2018 sequel to Halloween and also to his, he's, he, he's doing the same thing with the exorcist, which is, um, you know, it's, it's saying, forget about all the crappy sequels and the remakes that came after the original. This one is a direct sequel and, um, it is a direct because sequel.
1: the candy, sorry, Candyman had two other sequels. It had two, two other
3: sequels. poorly received sequels yeah. that are probably best forgotten about. Yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I don't think I've made my way through the entirety of of either of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this, it, it, I can see this kind of thing happening a, a good bit in the future with with franchises that have many crap sequels, like, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. But anyway, so I digress. The story uh, with Candyman, um, this one is is, it, it's oddly set in 2019. That probably has... Something to do with pandemic-related scheduling issues, but in in this one uh, Yahia Abdul Mateen the second, brilliant name, he plays Anthony McCoy, and he as a as a child was linked to the Candyman in a way, probably best not to go into here. Mm-hmm. And the adult Anthony, he, he is now an artist who, with his museum curator partner, is living in this fancy loft apartment that was built on the land of the mostly demolished uh, Cabrini Green projects, which is the rundown neighborhood where he was born. And Anthony, the artist, is suffering from a prolonged bout of artist's block, if that is even a thing. But um, then he starts researching the urban myth of the Candyman and then he opens up a whole heap of trouble. So that's what's going on in this one in Uh, a nutshell.
1: And because there's a lot of people from the original in this, is Tony Todd the Candyman?
3: I can't really say. Okay. There's, there's not there's not actually a whole lot of people from the original. Okay. Um, there's some archival footage. and I'm You can't
1: really it. say because you don't want to give a spoiler? Or?
3: I don't. No, okay. no, no, no. Fair enough fair, yeah, enough. fair I enough. Fair enough. I can't really say because I haven't watched
1: it. <laughs> He's joking, listeners. He I'm has not, seen it. I, I
3: I can't really go into too much about who's in it and who isn't.
1: Okay, no that's fair enough and we appreciate that, the listeners will appreciate that because you don't want to yep. ruin it. Now I, I didn't get to it. the screening of this unfortunately because you know, well I won't get into why we won't get into that either but uh, so so I haven't seen it so I'm, I'm being guided by you. As I say, I really like the original and we've discussed this many times, I don't get scared by a lot of horror but yeah. Candyman scared me and, and and, the Candyman for people who don't know, the, the, the myth in it was that if you say his name into a mirror at midnight he would appear
3: into a mirror five times
1: and it was quite scary that and 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 the Candyman who appeared had this really terrifying voice so Mm. does this new version sequel prequel whatever that well it's definitely not a prequel but does it work for you it does
3: on certain levels um i think the voice is missing the thing my big issue with, with this one is that it's not really all that scary and i think for a horror movie that's a bit of a problem yes and um, there are a couple of standout scenes that that did work for me, and there, and I guess some, uh, for want of a better term, inventive kills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, overall, I think the slasher aspect of this is the least effective part of it. And as far as you know, something about the the character, the Candyman, there's there's really not a whole lot scary about a tall guy in a fur coat and um, <laughs> a pile of sweets. Really doesn't put the fear of God into me. Um but I tell you what does work though is the way that this this story and the Candyman myth has been it's been dragged into the 21st century and it's made very current and relevant. Okay. And the the the, the, the original movie back in ninety-two, it drew on, you know, nineteenth century slavery and, yeah. and lynchings and 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 that kind of thing. Um but this one brings that myth all the way into the present, and it weaves in this uh, Black Lives Matter and racial violence subtext, and it does it very, very well. Okay, and that sounds interesting. Some people are probably going to say it's overly message-driven, but in my opinion, it's 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 vital and it's relevant, and the director, Nia DaCosta, she should be applauded. There's something... Uh, horror gets... I think horror does does this better than any other genre. It kind of it it speaks to the the you know the the, the undercurrent and the fears. Of our society in a way that other genres can't really.
1: Yeah, that that that's a good point. I feel yeah. a thesis coming on. Tell it, me this: yes. jo- Jordan Peele uh, wrote the script. So he co-wrote the script. He co-wrote Nia, the
3: Mia Decosta, uh, the director, co-wrote the script with Jordan Peele. That's right, yeah.
1: Okay, okay. And the script—I mean, you've said there aren't that many scares, so no. they could have done with some more jump scares in it. And...
3: I don't. I mean, it, as a movie, it it works very very well. Um, and there's, there's a there's a whole lot of positive. It's got a very, very strong visual look and obviously mm-hmm. mirrors and reflective surfaces play a big part of that. The soundtrack is, is great. There's this vocal heavy score by a guy called, uh, Robert Aki Aubrey Lowe, and it's extremely unsettling and it's quite, um, reminding me a lot of Philip Glass's score from the, the, the original Candyman. Okay. And there's also a couple of really fantastic, um, exposition, heavy scenes that are done with shadow puppetry and they're, they're really, really wonderful. You can, I think a lot of that was in the the trailer. if, If you, if anyone wants to, to see what that's like without going to see the movie.
1: Okay. What would you say stars wise then for Candyman?
3: I'm going to give it a three and a half. There are okay. bits of it that worked for me. And, you know, if it was just a bit more scary, it would have been really good, but it's, it's, a, it's a solid, it's, it's, it's a solid sequel in the same way as the, 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 you know, the sequel to the 2018 sequel to Halloween. which yeah. was, was 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 good. So this yeah. is more or less the same.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds like a pretty measured review. Uh, I have to say, three and a half stars for Candyman. I wonder what happens if you say Mark into to a mirror five times or something. Like, like does Citizen Kane pop up or?
3: Absolutely nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's nip that one right in the bud straight away. Okay. <laughs> let's take a quick clip of Candyman. This is where it all began.
2: The story of Candyman. Local character, he walk around handing out candy to the neighborhood kids. One day, a couple of kids get razor blades in their candy. Police come around. That's when I saw the true face of fear. Get on your knees.
1: Hands! Hands! Hands!
2: They beat him. Tortured him. Killed him. Right there on the spot. A couple weeks later, more razor blades and more candy. He'd been innocent. So he's real? Candyman ain't a he Candyman's the whole damn hive
1: That is a clip from Candyman which is in cinemas we should say from this Friday the 27th of August on general release Mark gave it three and a half Now Mark, a movie I have seen is the Mm. coming of age the Scottish coming of age drama Our Ladies Mm. Uh, Just tell our listeners what this is about
3: This is set in pre-social media, pre-mobile phones 1996 and Our Ladies it's about five friends from a small rural town in the Scottish Highlands. Um, 4th William
1: I believe the town is.
3: Fort William yeah, Uh, Orla Manda Kyla, Shell and Fanula, they all go to the local Catholic convent school and they're all in the school choir, which gives them the opportunity of this day trip to Edinburgh um, to complete in a national choir competition. And the girls use the trip as an opportunity for, for maximum drinking and debauchery and throwing themselves into getting their end away with wanton abandon.
1: Want and abandon I read one review in the Scotsman, a, a publication I never miss I'd be reading anyway, but it said uh, they explore their sexuality with vigor yeah uh, now we we chatted earlier in the week about this, and I, I thought you were going to like this more, but I don't think you did, did you?
3: Yeah, I think perhaps you might be a glass half full kind of guy.
1: <laughs> well, we've discussed that many times. it's not a perhaps it's a it's a given.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, th- it is, it's, I think it's aimed at a very specific audience, which would be, you know, uh, teenagers. I don't uh, know
1: if it's aimed at teenagers. In the way that I don't think, uh, sorry to cut across you, but I'm not really, because I've just done it. But, I mean, in the way that the in-betweeners, you know, isn't really aimed at teenagers, even though it's about teenagers. I mean, it's, a, it's aimed at adults as well, I would suggest.
3: Do you? Th- uh, I, would, I, would, I would disagree. Okay. Um, Did you like uh, the
1: in-betweeners, incidentally?
3: Mm, kind of. I mean, okay. a little goes a long way, I think.
1: Mm, you see, this might be the problem. Anyway, go on with what you were going to say. <laughs> My glass is half full, yours is half empty. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Um, it's written and it's directed and it's co-written by Michael Caten-Jones, who in the past has done, he's done some pretty decent stuff like Memphis Bell and This Boy's Life with Robert mm. De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio, but he has also made some absolute garbage like Basic Instinct 2 and a remake of Day and the Jack Day of the Jackal with Bruce Willis, and I think this is somewhere in between. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's certainly not fantastic either. It's got a very, uh, it's got quite a large ensemble cast, and some of these characters are more fleshed out than others. Um, but what our ladies uh, tries to, it tries to allot all five with equal shares of the limelight, and I do think that this is to the movie's detriment because some of these characters work better than others, and um, I suppose I guess also some of the girls have have everything figured out and others have, have, haven't have and they are kind of uh, bleakly accepting the f- the future that's, that's, you know, inevitable in front of them.
1: Yeah, you see, I think, you know, if you have five girls or five teenagers, even boys and girls, you know, that's the kaleidoscope you're going to encounter. Some are going to be high achievers, some are going to have low ambitions, some are going to struggle with stuff at home. And so I thought it was pretty, you know, realistic that way i also thought there was a nice bit of emotion to it of course they were there on a debauch day and they wanted to you know get their end away that's their words Mm. not mine but there was also nice stuff about you know teenage friendship going on there
3: there was yeah as i said i think some of the characters were more fleshed out than others and that their arcs worked worked better but um I think really for me it was it was Derry Girls without the humor or the warmth or the charm. I think what was missing for me is some sorely needed charm. And there was there was a tendency to fall back on um crudeness f- and for want of a better term and to compensate for, you know, a lack of a sharp script. I think and the efforts to shock got pretty wearing after a while for me. Um mm. there is a very, very Definite first draft feeling to this. It feels like it was taken out of the oven before it was ready. And I think the script needed a lot more time and work.
1: You see, I laughed a good few times at it. Did you? I thought some some of the funny moments were very funny. One in particular where they're back in a gentleman's house and he's doing a naked handstand. I, I yeah, found that pretty uh, funny,
3: you know? I think I need a bit more than that.
1: <laughs> but so, yeah, you see, because I'm, I'm on record on this show, I got into loads of trouble years ago. I said I didn't think Dairy Girls was that funny, but so. I, you you know I,
3: like to do, I take Dairy Girls over the in-betweeners. Um, but the, the, a lot of this just doesn't, it, it doesn't scan and it doesn't feel right. And it goes to some very, very weird places. And it gets progressively weirder the closer we get to the ending. I
1: um, I I I I thought I I didn't think they were weird. I thought there were people working through stuff, you know. Uh, and and I thought that the, the kind of lead character who's a a young girl who's I, what what's what's the girl who's Lula
3: sick? Lula Grieve. Uh, she plays Orla. Was Orla. who was Orla. Uh,
1: I thought she was very good in it. She she's overcoming leukemia, and she has she's got her hair cut short, and she has a bandana. Yeah. Uh, for most of the movie, and I thought her performance was quite affecting, and she's kind of the moral heart of it.
3: Mm, yeah, no. As I said, like her character and her arc is well. I'm not saying it works because that it, can, it goes completely off the rails and the, tonally, it just it was all over the shop, and I couldn't work out what the what what was going on. And the ending, it just it it's it really didn't sit well with me at all.
1: Yeah, see the ending worked for me, but look, okay. we're not going to agree on this. Uh, also, just we on, on we redo- have
3: talked about David Hasselhoff. Well, I, I was the-
1: I was going to say, don't say that. That's a bit of a spoiler, but you've just you've just spoiled it. I thought it was a brilliant cameo. He uh, shows up in the end credits. I thought it was inspired. Why? Was one of my favorite bits of the movie. Why because, did he show up? Because why did of, he show up in the credits? Because of what had happened beforehand.
3: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just think maybe you know. Timmy Mallet wasn't available. No,
1: no, no. But th- there's David Hasselhoff mentioned throughout it. I mean.
3: No, there isn't. There is. <laughs> no, not throughout it.
1: Well, no, he's mentioned a couple of times.
3: He, I, I, I'm, I I don't know. Maybe. I'm he's, not certainly re-watch it.
1: he's certainly mentioned twice.
3: Is he? Yeah. Definitely. You were falling
1: asleep. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm 99% sure he's mentioned twice.
3: I would say I'm, I must rewatch it, but I'm not gonna.
1: No, you're not going to. What would you say, stars wise for our ladies?
3: I'm going to give this a three, which is probably overly generous, but I think at the end of the day, its heart is in the right place, even if it's. I suppose its head isn't
1: yeah well I'm going to give it three and a half because I'm a glass half full guy as Mark said usually I say it myself but you you pointed it out this week so that's great so that's three and a half for Our Ladies which is in cinemas again from this Friday on the 27th of August Mark gave it a three he's not sure if he should but he doesn't like the in-betweeners so go figure anyway Mark thank you very much thanks John up next Redemption of a Rogue
0: Screen Time on News Talk.
1: Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. This is News Talks TV and Movie Show and I'm John Fardy. Now, I want to tell you about a new Irish movie also released this week in cinemas, Redemption of a Rogue, which was made for a shoestring, an absolute shoestring. And it's from the playwright and uh, writer, and this is his first time feature, Philip Doherty, and it stars Aaron Monahan, who you're about to hear me talk to. Redemption of a Rogue is kind of like a, Groundhog Day sort of story set in Cavan. Aaron's character, who I mentioned, returns home from being away and he wants to redeem himself. He's done bad stuff in his past. We're not entirely sure what. He's had a fractious relationship with his father, pretty fractious one with his brother as well, and indeed with the town in Cavan that he's left. He comes home not long after his father passes away and his father stipulates that he won't be buried during Rain. He won't be buried when it's raining. So it turns out he has to, the rogue has to stick around a bit longer. It's really quirky. It's really dark. It's really funny. There's kind of a blues Greek chorus in it, in that whenever it's raining and they're passing shop fronts and stuff, there are blues musicians, one of whom is played brilliantly by the great Pat McCabe, the writer, who are singing along as Aaron is making his. His way through town. Aaron was previously in movies like Assassin's Creed and Maze. You know, he's called a rising star, but like Neve Algar last week, I think his star has well and truly risen. It's in cinemas this Friday. It's from The Pen and it's directed by Philip Doherty and stars as the rogue in question, Aaron Monahan. And I got to chat to them earlier in the week. So Philip, if I could start with you, this is a great movie and it's a very unusual movie. And you have Aaron's character coming home. He's a rogue. He's looking for some kind of redemption, but he also has a rope with him. Then it pisses rain for an eternal amount of time. And there's a blues chorus, which involves Pat McCabe. I, I like, there's so much going on here. It really wasn't what I was expecting. Can you tell me where, where the spark of the idea came or or, or, or did, did you have a road to Damascus moment or did it build over time?
4: Um, I think it built over time. I did have a story idea um, that I had for about 10 years. It was one of those story ideas that just wouldn't leave me. I mean, you have a story idea pretty much every day, but, you know, it's gone in about an hour. But this one stayed with me and stuck with me. And it was about a guy. So I I did a lot of backpacking, you know, in my 20s, escaping Cavan to head off around the world and um, going on an adventure. But I always used to return home. Um, with my uh, tail between my legs, penless, <laughs> and uh, with this incredible guilt riding on my shoulders of what, I, <laughs> what happened, and you return home. I'm right? Sorry,
1: the, the guilt was what you got up to, or the fact that you were coming home?
4: Oh, it's mixture of everything. <laughs> Too much detail on that, but the feeling of guilt and shame, and 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 you're just and I was stuck, do you know, at home and. So I, I always kind of, around that time, I had the idea to um, about a prodigal son returning home, but he's only one day to live. And on that last day, he spends it settling old scores and facing up to his past sins. And that story was kind of always, there. I don't think I really had the courage to write it or to go after it, go mm-hmm. after the emotion of it. But um, it stayed with me and, um, yeah, eventually kind of found a form. And then all the things... Um, that came in around this is from personal experiences like the world of the film I grew up in Cavan and those gorgeous larger than life eccentric characters with that dark droll sardonic wit there are people I grew up in where the GEA ruled the town with like an iron fist and my parents are very religious so you know that religious undercurrent was always there in my life with the religious figurines and going to church a lot when you're younger so all those elements i think were in it in a spin cycle together
1: yeah and the statue of prague of course uh was chief among them there was a nice use of that Aaron, can i ask you then i suppose in a similar way did did you get the script and go wow i haven't seen anything like this before i better do this um yeah well no not quite
0: actually um I, i
1: Feel free to disagree. <laughs> no problem. Uh, no, uh, I,
0: I Philip pitched this to me a year before we filmed it and he hadn't written it, but okay. It was very clear beat by beat um what the film was about and what happened in it. And I was I would I was if, if I wasn't in it by then, I was certainly in it once once he described it to me and like I I could see what he was trying to do in terms of the religious metaphors and stuff. Um I kind of kind of the opposite to Philip and kind of the same at the same time, like we're both from Cavan. We know each other from when we're 15 and doing youth drama together. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I didn't do the backpacking thing, but I, I did leave Cavan to go to work. And I always kind of felt like when you're going home, that I, I understand that thing of, oh, you th- you're, you're up in Dublin. You think you're great now. <laughs> it, kind of, it kind of changed for me uh, when I was around, I don't know, early 30s. And partly because Philip was at home in Cavan creating this amazing uh, arts collective, uh, him him and a num- number of other artists. So th- suddenly in my hometown of Cavan, um, he had the entire community involved and arts uh, as a career became a legitimate career. Mm. Um, and I became like really fascinated with this and I wanted to be part of it. So we, I, I, we were always trying to find something to work together with and the timing and the availability never quite worked out. So uh, we eventually... Found found each other, and he pitched this film to me. Like I would have been doing it before he told me what the film was about, because I just wanted to work with him. I wanted mm. to be back in Cavan. I wanted to make a film there. I wanted to make work there. Um, but yeah, once he once he described the film to me, I was like, if he can get this down on paper, I've no doubt that he'll be able to to make it uh, on film. So I'm in with two feet. So, uh, yeah, and what what he pitched to me on. In his office, a year later, is exactly pretty much what we shot.
1: Okay, well, well, th- well that's, that's unusual uh, in this business. And guys, Philip, I suppose back to you, both of you are, are talking about Cavan a lot. What I liked about it was, you know, Cavan... Uh, you know, it's, and I've no skin in the game, I'm from Dublin, but it, it's unfortunately, you know, the North Midlands, let's call it, you know, Galway Donegal, Cork these these are the places along the Wild Atlantic Way, they, you know, they get tourism and stuff like that and occasionally there's drives to promote the Midlands and places like Roscommon and Cavan, but what I love about your movie is, you know, as I mentioned, it's Lash and Rain, you're not trying to sell anyone on Cavan in terms of I don't know, come and see some archaeological side or anything like that, like you're presenting a cavern that speaks to you and it's honest and it's kind of dourness at times and it's beauty, like it's austere beauty, but you were clearly very clear about it was cavern as you saw it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's where I spent most of my life. It's where I grew up and I kind of, I think maybe it's because it was my first feature film, I just needed to to express that, I think, and, and to celebrate that and celebrate Cavan. and one of the most beautiful things about Cavan is the people and their droll wit which i think mm. is really unique to south Ulster and to Cavan and mona and that part of the world and i suppose that's the one of the things that kind of inspired me the most rather than the, the landscape and it is a beautiful county it does have all those 365 lakes but oh yes <laughs> i think the real magic is in the people and not yeah. just in their their turn of phrase or their 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 delicious vernacular or or, or their wit but also the musicality and there's always been a great tradition not only of theatre but of music in it and we brought a lot of music into the film because I knew we had this wonderful network of artists as well as visual artists but also musicians and that was um, a huge voice for the film as well.
1: Yeah and you know a lot of times during it I kept you know, and, and I hope this is a compliment, but, you know, I kept thinking of Pat McCabe, that it it felt like one of his novels, and then lo and behold, of course, he's in the movie uh, leading this blues band. W- was he keen to take part, or did you have to, you know, take him out to wine him and dine him?
4: <laughs> uh, Pat McCabe, so Pat McCabe's been very supportive um, of my work over the year. like, I mean, he ran the Fla- Flat Lake and Literary Arts Festival, yeah. which was like this gorgeous outrageous off the hook festival um, and when I ran the theatre tent so I've known him over the years and he's been supportive and um but he um he's the godfather of black comedy um, <laughs> Irish black comedy so he's an absolute inspiration of yeah course. And he's from, just lives up the road in Clonus or grew up there as well so it's a, it's the same world pretty much that we grew up in um with a similar characters and I gave him a draft of the script an early draft on it and he he gave me a couple of pointers. He was very generous on that as well. He's such a, you know, he's a world-class um, and, and a national treasure of a, a writer. So he was very helpful on that as well. So he knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then I had the Bluesman character and I was like, God, I'd be amazed if Pat McCabe could do this part. So I approached him and he was on board. He was delighted to play the part and, and thankfully he could. So that was an absolute honour to have him in it.
1: Yeah, I know. He, he's great. And the whole, this, blues chorus that are popping up in shop windows, it's brilliant, it, it really is and it's so unusual and yet so unique, it's just great Erin, uh, you know, you've been in Assassin's Creed and, and and big, big ventures from the production notes this was shot over 21 days, there seemed to be a budget of 45 grand you were getting wet all the time it seems, I'm assuming this is a very different shoot to Assassin's Creed and things like that
0: Yes, it could, it could <laughs> not have been pulled apart. I th- I'd said that the, the, the budget for water on Assassin's Creed would have made this move <laughs> twice. Um, no, I mean, look, I, my, my wife says I'm a glutton for punishment and it's kind of true. I, I, I like getting down and dirty and I, li- I like the challenge of it. Um, And I I knew that this was going to be like up all night, working as hard as you can with the best people. Um, I didn't know how Philip was going to achieve it, like because... I think it's been said before that like 80% of the film takes place in the rain and the budget for the rain machine would have, it would have blown the budget within two days. So I was kind of fascinated to see how it would get made. But as he said, he had this army of creatives uh, around him that, that, um, that made it happen. They they built their own rain machines. There was one point where there was an entire street uh, in the fight scene that was just made up of a rain machine. So it was kind of astounding to watch that. There were all these different teams and departments, um, so it was a true collaboration. And like, yes, it was tough, and yes, it was cold, and you got you got wet all the time. Um, and I, but I really mean this. Like, as, as tough as it was, every time like I would get cold i kind of like, you know, hypothermia is beginning to set <laughs> in or whatever. Like I did feel my, I did feel myself retreat into myself. But then you just look at the uh, every time I would look at the at the camera and look at the frame or look at the shot that we just got, and you just get energized again. Mm. And I think there was this sort of cyclical thing of like the 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 crew were watching the actors do this, and we were kind of getting behind Philip, and then they were getting behind us, and we were watching. We were watching the, the the shots and and the reels again, and it was just like let's keep on going. And it really did feel like it felt like the hardest theater job. Like I think theater is much more difficult for an actor to do. It can mm-hmm. be just more challenging. Um, it it takes a lot more energy and rigor. It's like a marathon. But this felt like the closest to making a piece of theater. And uh, uh, so it was. It was just. It it felt absolute bliss in many ways to be making. Well,
1: well, it sounds really collaborative. And Philip, you know, uh, one of the things we we've been talking a lot about how cavern centric a story it is in some ways. But I actually think this is going to travel very well because there's, you know, it's a kind of elemental tale, as in, you know, the rogue comes home and he's a strange relationship with his brother. Definitely one with his father and people he's left behind and all, and there's blues music in it, so it's very Cavan but it's also very universal. I think have have you an eye to that? Have you a sense that you could go on the road with this, maybe?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the famous playwright Tom Murphy said the local is universal, yeah. and that always has stayed with me. That you know, you write write these characters that you love because I think you know, audiences want to escape into a world and a unique world that, that's not used to them and. And Kevin, is that for me? Um, but yeah, I mean, you try to make the film as honestly as as possible, and yeah, there are. It is a spiritual journey for the character, essentially, which everyone I hope can connect with. Mm. Um, and we did screen. I did get to see it once on a big screen in Greece recently, last month, at the wow. International Film Festival, and <clears throat> it was such a heartening experience. It was the first time I watched it with other people. The um, no, mine on a big screen because of the because of COVID and I was on a beach at a full moon night, the water <laughs> was slapping behind the screen and there were they were howling laughter at GA stuff, do you know? And <laughs> all those Irish gags are those things that are kind of unique that I thought particular to Cavan, they really got it on a beach mm-hmm. in us.
1: Great, great. And I should point out, it's also very funny, I, you know, I'm talking about other elements of it, but it's, it's hilarious at times, it really is. And then finally, Erin, I was reading something about you earlier today, and you described yourself as an accidental actor. You may not remember even saying this, and forgive me if the publication in question misprinted it, I doubt it did, it's very reputable. But, but are you, do you still see yourself as an accidental actor? Um,
0: yeah, I, I, I originally was like, it was the last, like, it's funny when, when, when Philip was talking about Pat McCabe, I remember the butcher boy being filmed not very far from my house. And it was like, I don't know how that, how you can go about making films. I thought actors were I just thought there were people who came from the circus or from some other country or that their parents were. So like, I, I really did fall into acting like very, very late. Like I, the, the course that I trained in in Trinity to be an actor, I didn't know that existed until six months before I started it. So it, it, it really was, but like, I, I am an accidental actor, but I, I love what I do. And I know now that it's what I'm supposed to be doing. If that doesn't sound, uh, too, um big headed or something I I feel, I feel I've feel found my purpose I, I love it, I wouldn't uh, change what I do for the world so and I'm very very thankful for it
1: Well based on Redemption of a Rogue you've certainly found your purpose, I think it's a great movie lads and it's in cinemas on the 27th of August I will urge people to go see it and I hope it travels far and wide thanks a lot for chatting to me Thank you John, thanks, John. thank you Philip Doherty and Aaron Monahan talking to me about their role and writing in Redemption of a Rogue, which is on release from this Friday, the 27th of August. A really good movie. I was going to say a really good Irish movie, but a really good movie. It is Irish, and it's Cavan. It's Cavan to the Hilt in the right sense of the phrase. Up next, another Irish film director, Paddy Slattery, on his favourite movie. Screen Time on News Talk. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now it's that stage of the week where I talk to someone about their favourite movie. Earlier in the year I spoke to director Paddy Slattery about his great movie Broken Law which is available to watch currently on Netflix and I suggest you do. And in the course of our conversation it became apparent both on and off air that he was a serious movie buff and I suggested to him that he come back sometime and chat to me about his favourite movie. Well it took him a couple of weeks to finally nail it down, but I'm delighted to say Paddy Slattery joins me now with favourite movie in hand. Paddy, how are you? Good
2: afternoon, sir. How are you getting on?
1: Very well, very well. So listen, tell our listeners what you've opted for. I know it's a tough question, particularly for a cinephile like yourself, but your favourite movie, certainly as we're talking today.
2: Well, it's that old question, if you were stranded on an island, which which movie, one movie would you bring with you? Realistically, <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia was the one that always came to mind. I I fought and wrestled over about five or six titles, but Lawrence of Arabia kept winning. So that must be the one. (laughs) So remind people
1: what Lawrence of Arabia is about, because, you know, it's one of those movies, it's become this thing, Lawrence of Arabia. I'm not sure how many people have actually seen it. What's going on?
2: Well, it's set during World War One, I think, um, about uh, a guy called T.E. Lawrence who was, he was actually a cartographer um, uh, in the British Army uh, stationed in Cairo uh, with a real gra for getting out on the field and, and getting some action because he was bored and, and he wanted an adventure. He had a, a, a sort of a thing for, he loved subjecting himself to to pain in a kind of a strange kind of way, and, and he was bored with his position. And he somehow, or somebody wrangled a position for him out on the field as a sort of... Uh, a, a, a sort of a reconnaissance kind of uh, uh, soldier who would uh, go and meet Prince Faisal and the Arabs and sort of relay information back to the British headquarters so suddenly you're you're on this extraordinary adventure with this uh, British man in 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 the desert uh in North Africa and it's um yeah, it's, it's an incredible uh, incredible journey, and you're taking on this step-by-step step with this man into the fiery pits of hell or what was called, what was it? The Devil's Anvil. And mm. um, But yeah, he... Um, it, it's, for me anyway, in terms of a character study, I think it's one of the greatest character studies I've ever seen portrayed on, on film, and although he is David Lean, the director, was dealing with a real-life historical figure, there was... Incredible, I guess, creative license is taken, but in my honest opinion, I think in in the context of this story and, and the themes that um, David Lean explored in the movie in terms of identity and loyalty and uh, even... Um, even a sort of moral ambiguity, I, I, I thought it was the most beautiful portrayal of the human condition.
1: And of course, then, you've got Peter O'Toole playing uh, the Lawrence character. I presume you think his portrayal is, well, you've pretty much said as much, brilliant.
2: I know Peter had done a lot of stage work prior to this film and a couple of small films, but it was sort of known as his big introduction into world cinema. And he was he was so beautifully cast in this film because the thing we all loved, I think if you can remember Peter O'Toole himself as a man, he was a sort of a lovable rogue, you mm. know, he could charm, he could charm you one minute and, 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 uh, and you could despise him the next. And that was one of the reasons I loved his portrayal of Lawrence because, and, and going back to that moral ambiguity, what we see is, is a man that is, um, He's on this quest to, I guess, try and discover who he is and where his own personal loyalties lie. Mm. But in that process, he's handed incredible power by the British Army, and that power, unfortunately, he becomes intoxicated by, and he he suddenly has this penchant for um for 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 murdering people, and he goes on this crazy uh, onslaught, and um and and that I, I guess to me it shows that every human being. No matter where your your economic or political uh, sort of backgrounds may lie, I think we all have the potential to be influenced and, and even um, misguided, given the given so much power and control in our lives. Um, and 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 Peter, yeah, he conveys that um that journey beautifully. I think.
1: And I presume as a film director yourself, Lean's direction and scene setting and wide open desert vistas really appeals to you as well.
2: Yeah, like David Lean, I mean, his direction in this film is exquisite. And I think there's so much care and attention gone into every single frame of this film in terms of cinematography, stage direction, art direction the music, the score, it, it's an absolute, it's a bona fide masterpiece. And and just when you see how David Lean somehow manages to wrangle the most epic scale of of, of action, yet still be able to put, portray some of the most delicate and intimate moments mm. between, uh, for example, between uh, Omar Sharif's character, uh, Sheriff Ali, and, uh, and Peter O'Toole's character, Lawrence, there's what there's a beautiful tender relationship that develops between these four people on on almost opposite sides of the political and, and even a social spectrum, mm. and uh, there's a beautiful. Uh, I I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm wrong in in assuming this, but I always felt there was even a, a sexual um, ambiguity between uh, 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 you know Lawrence's relationship with with Sheriff Ali mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, so there's, there's so many layers I find in this film and, and how David Lean manages to spin all those plates and still come out the other end with a cohesive story that you don't get too lost in is, um, is incredible. It's inspiring.
1: Well, that's a, a brilliant description and, and mouth-watering description that uh, kind of evokes the movie. Now, now, talking of the movie, you watched this again, very kindly, last night, but you watched it with a VR headset.
2: I've never had the good fortune of seeing Lawrence in its, all its 70 millimeter glory on a big cinema screen. And uh, last year at the beginning of lockdown, I purchased a, a VR headset uh, because I heard you can uh, have a, a virtual cinema in, in, in virtual reality. And honestly, John, it was one of the greatest purchases I've ever made <laughs> in my life because I can go into my virtual cinema. I can even design my cinema. And I can sit wherever I want in that cinema. Something that is not afforded to a wheelchair user in 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 quote unquote real life. Because if I if I did have the fortune of seeing Lawrence Varavia in a real cinema, chances are, as a wheelchair user, I'm going to be planted up the front or way at the back, and and you're going to have a creak in your neck. You're going to have a headache, and. You know, but in virtual space, I can sit right in the the sweet spot in the middle and watch the movie, which I did last night. And um, it's absolutely mind blowing. Um, You know, on a personal note, John, this film in particular, it came into my life at a a time when I felt so restricted in my life. It was not long after a car crash and I'm paralyzed and, and I'm not quite sure where I'm going in life and suddenly I sit down and watch a movie like Lawrence of Arabia and my mind is blown and my imagination is liberated. And that's, I I honestly think that's the reason I'm addicted to cinema now is because I can free myself. I can get lost in cinema.
1: Wow. Well, look, the whole point of this slot is uh, people giving a personal, you know, validation or reason for why they love a movie. And that's, Maybe one of the best I ever heard. So I, I do appreciate that, Patty. And I, I did not mention at the start of the interview that you are in a wheelchair and have been since the age of 17. Because Broken Law, your fantastic movie that's now available on Netflix, has nothing to do with that in, in a way. It's a fine piece of cinema. And in a way, you being in a wheelchair, and I hope this isn't doing it a disservice, is secondary to the movie and i would love people to watch it on their own terms so that's why i didn't bring it up but i'm awfully glad you did because just just to end i mean cinema owners of of ireland and the world take note that i think what you're saying is that the the spots where cinema or sorry the spots in cinemas where we jail users are usually designated to go are pretty shitty seats is what you're saying
2: yeah look it's it's a tough time for cinema in general and if you were to ask all of the the leading cinema outlets to suddenly change the the geography of their seating positions you know what they'll tell you to do you know and and it's unfortunate but the future may be in in virtual space possibly because honestly john i'd love to i'd love to hand you over this this headset and and subject you to the virtual cinema experience it's no different and you can even sit with your friends in the virtual space and watch it with friends but look there's nothing that will ever replace that the intimacy of a dark room with friends and sharing that communal experience nothing will ever replicate that yeah it doesn't matter how good technology
1: gets Yeah, well, listen, I really appreciate you doing that. I really appreciate you not sticking the knife into cinemas for where they put wheelchair users. So fair play to you. And I want to remind people again, of course, you should watch Lawrence of Arabia because it is a wonderful movie, as Paddy has just described to us very articulately. But you should also watch, if you haven't, Broken Law, his debut feature, which is on, well, his debut big screen feature, which is now on Netflix. Paddy, thank you so much.
2: My pleasure, sir. If you're insubordinate of me, Lawrence, I shall put you under arrest. It's my manner, sir. what? My manner, sir. It looks insubordinate, but it isn't really. Well, I can't make out whether you're bloody bad-mannered or just half-witted. I have the same problem, sir. Shut up. Yes, sir.
0: Now, the Arab Bureau seem to think you would be of some use to them in Arabia. Why? I can't imagine. You don't seem able to perform your present duties, properly.
2: I cannot fiddle, but I can make a great state from a little city. What? For Mr. Please, sir, a Greek philosopher.
0: You're the kind of
2: creature I can't stand, Lawrence.
0: But I suppose I could be wrong. All right, Dryden, you can have him for six weeks. Who knows? Might even make a man of him.
1: Ah, yes, the one and only Lawrence of Arabia, as chosen by film director Paddy Slattery as his favourite movie. And my sincere thanks to Paddy, who did Trojan work describing and indeed rewatching it last night. That's it for this week. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app, powered by Go Loud. It's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane who helped out on the show. You can get in touch with me at any stage during the week on John underscore Fardy on Twitter or you can email me, screentime at Newstalk.com. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the rest of this Indian summer we're having. Take care.